Hello and welcome once again to Dave and Marlo, your absolutely favorite Portland Trailblazers podcast. And if it's not your favorite, shame on you. We better be at least top 100, like three of the Portland Trailblazers were ranked in the ringer this week. Jeremy Grant, uh, Anthony Simons, Damian Lillard, no surprise there. We'll probably talk about that later. Why not Yusuf Nurkic or Josh Hart? We're talking about the top quarter of the league. It's an injustice as it is if you don't like, subscribe, or tell everybody about this podcast because you know what? We're kind of fantastic, or at least good-looking for podcasters. I am Dave Deckard, here with Marlo Ferguson, Jr. Marlo, how is it going for you this week? Pretty good, pretty good. Um, I know we almost almost caught the game just right. Uh, said this week they were going to go 4-0, and 3-1. So you'll take that. Um, very competitive team, looking really good as of late. So uh, lots of good stuff. Jamal Murray was not your friend. He, uh, he kept yeah. you from being perfect. Okay, let's start there. Denver Nuggets game. Oh, the heartache after that game. Okay, first of all, let's talk a little bit about the game. Obviously, we do remember the, uh, you know, the last shot. But, I mean, the Blazers shot 48% from the floor, 40% from the three-point arc. However, they allowed Denver 51.6% and also 40%. So there was not a lot of defense going on on either team. The Blazers did a good job limiting their turnovers. They got fast break points. They did a lot of stuff okay. But they gave up 64 points in the paint, which was huge. And Nikola Jokic got 33 10 and 9 in a masterful performance after the Blazers triple singled him in the first meeting of the season. What did you think of that Denver game now that I've set it up for those who forgot or blotted it out because it was painful? Uh, do you think, uh, you know, do you think the Blazers did well enough in that game or were there things they should have done better? And were you heartbroken by that loss as much as Blazer Nation seemed to be? Definitely was heartbroken by the game. Um, I thought they definitely played well enough to win that game too. Uh, it was just a matter of if you look at the way that, that last last quarter went, it was just a lot of tough shot making. So you got a chance to see Damian Lillard uh, hit tough shots, Jamal Murray hitting tough shots, Nikola Jokic hitting tough shots. So everybody was kind of getting into their their groove. I think the big takeaway for me is the fact that uh, Jeremy Grant ended up playing all 24 minutes in that, in that second half. Like you usually don't see that in, in a, a game in December. So that was that was something that sort of st- uh, stuck out to me. And then also the fact that uh, Denver's the sort of team that can. Uh, Kind of, kind of attack Portland's weaknesses. You can kind of try to hide Damian Lillard. You can kind of try to hide Anthony Simons, but a team like that's going to be able to figure it out. Um, and so it kind of, it kind of exposed a fatal flaw in their game. So I'm looking forward to see how they respond to that the next time they play. See if they can adjust to it. Um, see how that goes. Yeah, let's talk about some of those weaknesses in a little bit. But the Jeremy Grant thing was apt because who was guarding Murray on that final shot? And it was Jeremy Grant, right? And he looked now. You really cannot blame him too much because Murray jab-stepped and looked like he was going to drive. And Grant didn't go two steps back. He just went one. But he was just a little bit slow. And then Murray stepped back instead and pulled up and drained the shot. It was a great shot. Grant probably could have done slightly better defending it, but honestly, for the last couple minutes of that game, he looked fatigued to me. Do you do you think it's an issue that uh, the starters are playing, you know, a lot of minutes in a lot of these games to secure the wins? I think so, yeah. I don't think you ever want to see a, a player playing all 24 minutes in the second half of, of a December game, especially when you've got players on the, on the bench that you could have used. Trenton Walkers, he he's had a huge impact this year in terms of just rebounding. 
like the energy he brings. He had Jabari Walker. You could have put in so a lot of different things that you could have done, even if it's just a minute or two, just to give him a breather. Um, and, and, and Jeremy Red played well in that game. I'm not sure if he and Chelsea had talked about that or how important that game was for you. Uh, but you just you never want to see that uh, that situation where a guy's playing all 24 minutes in a regular season game like that in the second half. Yeah, I mean, it's something that people have pointed out, and I, I think it's less of an issue now, obviously. I mean, because we are still early in the season. We have 26 games in. Not a huge, you know, deal yet. But keep in mind, Damian Lillard has been injured for a lot of that, or at least a good portion. And he's been intrinsic to the team. He's also an incredibly high mileage player. I mean, he he is coming into this season with a lot of miles on that odometer. He was injured much of last year. I get that that was a break, but it seems like he's going to start falling prey in his, you know, early to mid 30s to those nagging things that most players do. He plays a lot of minutes. Uh the the Anthony Simons plays a lot of minutes. Uh, Jeremy Grant plays a lot of minutes. And those three are really the keys to Portland right now. What's happening in the first third of the season will not be necessarily what happens in the latter third as far as effect. If 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 the Blazers are 66 games in and they are still playing Lillard, Grant, and Simons huge minutes, I don't know. I don't foresee this story ending well. I would agree with that, too. You know, you definitely don't want to have a situation where you, your star players are fatigued come playoff time. Um, and, and you look at just the situation here. Um, we've seen it before with a, lot of, with a lot of teams in the league where they have players that don't have the energy for it. So I think that you give yourselves a fighting chance when you have the, the number one scoring trio in the NBA. Uh, but at the same time, just the, the defensive miscues and, and, and what you have on offense, it's, it's tough to sort of withstand that if you're fatigued. So uh, I definitely look to seeing if they continue to uh, introduce different guys into the rotation, uh, putting different guys in and see what they can do there. Yeah. Now, obviously, I mean, Gary Payton, the second might take up some of those minutes and that'd be okay. He doesn't bring the same things, but he at least does bring the defense. But I mean, Josh Hart is playing his, forgive me, playing his heart out too. I mean, I don't see where you can edge him into many more minutes either simply because of the way he plays. He's giving 100% energy every minute he's on the floor. Now, the Blazers have been buying time with Justice Winslow. Uh, and obviously, Nasir Little is injured. Uh, Keon Johnson has been as well. I mean, those are key players that the Blazers were kind of depending on to spell the other guys for you know, 10, 12 minutes that they're just not getting. And instead of being able to backfill further down, they are having to fill from the top with the starters. Do you think this is an injury thing or do you think this is a coaching decision? Um, I think it's probably more of a coaching decision. Uh, if you look at Keon Johnson, he, in his first game back, he played uh, 29 seconds. He came back and he won three-pointer and he was just done for the day. But I think it's definitely a coaching decision where uh, we've seen earlier in the year where Chelsea went go 10 deep into their rotation or even deeper than that and have his younger guys come in. I can recall earlier in the year seeing, you know, Jabari Walker come in and getting minutes in the first six minutes of the first quarter. So he's proven that he'll do that. Uh, but I think that you, you definitely want to kind of tread lightly with this um, in terms of just how often you rest your guys. Uh, because this year, the Blazers are 11-3 and three in games that, that Lillard's able to finish. And they're 5-7 and seven when he does it. So I think you definitely see the, the, the big the big impact that it has having those guys on the floor. So you definitely want to try to tread lightly and, and play it safe when it comes to that. Yeah, I almost want to say it's a young coach thing, 
but I also think it yeah. might be a coach thing. I mean, because Terry Stotts kind of did the same thing. Now, granted, Lillard and CJ McCollum were 24. I mean, you know, you kind of, you run those guys a lot. I, look, if this team were two and whatever, two and 24, and they didn't have Damian Lillard, you'd be seeing a lot more Shaden Sharp. I mean, and if they played Shaden Sharp 40 minutes a game, nobody would scream because he's super young, right? But this is not that same, this is not the, that situation. So, I mean, Terry Stotts couldn't keep his hands off of Lillard, and rightfully so. Coaches are there to win games. Chauncey Billups hasn't proved much more apt either. Yeah, I, I definitely would have to agree with that. You know what I'm saying? You want to have your best guys out there on the floor. Yeah. And Lillard, he's played sensationally when he's been able to in – the, in the games that he's played over 30 minutes, look at the numbers, he's averaging about 30 points a game, uh, 46, 40, 90 percentage splits. So he's a guy that you definitely want to have out there as much as you can. Uh, but I think that just the fact that the Blazers have such a tough schedule, I think you definitely want to try to uh, mix it in, mix in different rotations, different lineups, and see what you can do there. Yeah, now let's detour into Lillard for a minute because, okay, the uh, Denver game, he plays uh, 38 minutes, scores 40 points. Uh, first Minnesota game, 41 minutes, 36 points. Second Minnesota game, 29 minutes, 38 points. And then the San Antonio game, 36 minutes, 37 points. I think there's an argument to be made. You cannot take him off the floor at this point if he's going to score like that. 40, 36, 38, and 37 in the last four games. Wow. That one you brought up, the uh, 38 points in 29 minutes, I think is really interesting because that was the uh, San Antonio game and he didn't play a single minute in that fourth quarter. That was actually the Minnesota game. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Minnesota, yeah, the yeah. Minnesota game. Uh-huh. Yeah, so and that's Damian Lillard. If he wanted to come in and get that record, he definitely could have got it. But I think it speaks volumes to his unselfishness and, and, and also how well the team had played to that point. So that's a that's a game that I think you definitely look at uh, definitely finally. Yeah. I mean, that he's out for one thing, and it's not individual accolades. Uh, it is to, uh, to, well, to obviously play the best he can, but to drive his team to wins. So, yeah, it was nice that he got that 29-minute uh, game. He actually had to shoot 11 of 17 from three-point land in order to accomplish that, which was a career high for makes and an obnoxious percentage. Get this, in the last four games, Lillard has been shooting 54.5% from the floor and 51% from the arc. 51%. That is, I don't even, and it's not like, it's not like he's, he's been shooting 15 threes a game. Like this is arcade territory. This is not like real life. This is video game uh, land here. I'm struggling to think of even in Clyde Drexler's years. I mean, he had runs and he's obviously had huge production and he played in bigger games. Let's face it. But as far as just point production and, aggregate amazingness i'm having a hard time coming up with a four game stretch that equals this if it's not another one of dames himself he's just absolutely amazing that's the most simplest way you can put it and i think that this iteration of damian Lillard has been really interesting to me just because of the fact that uh, over the last four seasons he's had a three-point rate of over 50 percent in each of the last four years but this year is up to 60 nearly 60 percent so uh, we're seeing a lot more three-pointers, but also on top of that, his free throw rate is the highest that it's ever been too. So you're seeing a guy that's dominating from all three levels of the floor. Uh, he's hitting contested mid-range shots, uh, deep pull-up three-pointers, 
every single area of the floor is just he, he owns it. So it's just kind of fun to see how the numbers are kind of shaking out for him in terms of this year. And it's been one of his best seasons. And he's had a lot of great seasons. So that's that's kind of great to say. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I you can't even describe what he is doing. And you can watch you can watch the other team get flustered. I mean, and it's just not, it, the thing is, it's not even a Dame time thing. You know what? It's not even like, I mean, he did get a little Dame time versus Denver or whatever, but it, it's literally, uh, it's like a tsunami, but not the tsunami in your head or in a cartoon where it's an 80 foot wave, right? That's, that's like, that's like old Dame. Okay. This new dame is just the inexorable force of the ocean coming in at about six feet higher than your beach. And you don't, it doesn't even look like it's coming, right? It's like something's going on out there and oh, it's coming. I wonder if I should move. And then all of a sudden you are flooded. And all of a sudden your little town is ripped apart, San Antonio or Minnesota. And you go, what the heck just happened? And it's just dame. You, it's a crushing force that you cannot stop. He just comes in and takes your soul. Simple as that. Um, I think I love that you brought that up because San Antonio, they they came into that game on a three-game winning streak. And Minnesota, they were three and one without Carl Anthony Towns. So both of those teams came in with momentum, thinking they were going to be able to put together another win. And then in comes Damian Lillard, and he just puts it into it. And I think that uh, offensively or defensively, he, he talked a little bit about that in that Denver game where uh, they would have they would have Aaron Gordon in that dunker spot, creeping into that zone they had. And it was just, they couldn't stop it. So in the game after that, you could just see the, the defensive effort too. And it's not something that gets talked about a lot uh, in terms of what he does on defense. He's not a great defender. I don't think he ever will be a great win at that. But the effort that you see there, it definitely stands out. Um, he's proven to be a leader of this team absolutely year in, year out. Yeah. And this is about the fourth different iteration of him doing that that we've seen. I mean, you can argue that Dame over the course of his career, and not just like, well, rookie Dame versus now, that would be a ridiculous comparison. But literally, the style of how he's done things has changed throughout the years, depending on his personal ability, but also his team and teammates. And he's good every time. Like, you can literally change him into whatever. He's like Joan Soda. I mean, like, you, you, I know it's expensive, but it's good. And whatever kind you get is going to be good. Uh, you can get bubble gum one night and berry the other night and strawberry another, and you, you, you're you, good to go. That's Damian Lillard. And watching a player like that is pretty darn special. Special indeed. I was looking at the, uh, the Ringer's Top 100. You brought it up today. And... It, Maybe it's just the, bla the Blazer observer in me, but I just I can't imagine picking 17 guys ahead of him if my season were on the line and I needed a win. Uh, just what he's able to do on a night-to-night -night basis year after year is just special. So I, I kind of took offense to that. Uh, but I think that as the Blazers kind of string together more wins and they, they get more notoriety, I think it'll definitely be one of those things where people understand that he's back to who he used to be because he's looked a lot like the Dame of Owen as of late too, so. Now, uh, next to him, Anthony Simons, uh, been a little up and down in this same stretch. And I, he seems to still be finding himself. He's averaged 18 points over those same four games, but that's under his season average. Uh, he shot only 36% from the three-point arc, a little bit of a drop there for him. He's just average instead of all world. 48.4% from the uh, from the floor in aggregate is pretty good. Uh, four assists, eh. You know, and he's had some pluses and some minuses in his games. So, 
how do you feel about this fit so far? I mean, again, we're 26 games in, about a third of the way through the season. Uh, how do you feel about this Simons Lillard backcourt? I think Simons is probably the most fascinating player on this team, just in terms of how different he looks when he's got Lillard with him versus when he doesn't. I think the aggressiveness and even the comfort level just it feels different when when it's just when it's just Simons out there. Um, and you look at some of the numbers. Oh, what were you going to say? So, the, which way though? The he's more aggressive when he's alone. Definitely more aggressive when he's alone. I think um, I would say that. And you look at the numbers, the per 100 possessions. The Blazers are a uh, minus 15.5 per 100 when neither of them play, but they're a plus 24.3 uh, net rating when when Lillard's on and Simons is off. So, and they've basically been a standstill whenever it's any other situation. So we're seeing the Blazers not quite be as great when it's just Simons in there. Uh, but he's he, like I said, he's just such a, a fascinating player. And they had a stat that came out a couple of days ago where it talked about Simons being uh, the youngest player in NBA history to hit 100 three-pointers in his first 25 games of the season. So I think it tells you just how young he still is and how much growth he still has to go. Uh, but just in terms of the fit with Simons and Lillard, I, I don't think defensively you can, you can really succeed with that. Uh, but at the same time, I think that they've got the offensive firepower to sort of make a deep postseason run as long as they don't face a team that can kind of take advantage of those mismatches. Well, Simons is shooting an enormous number of three-pointers, too. I mean, he's shooting 10 per game, which is, by the way, for your uh, second option to be shooting 10 three-pointers per game is pretty significant. And and he's not a specialist, either. He can drive. He won the dunk contest. I mean, and he can score. He sometimes tries mid-range shots. You know, he's no C.J. McCollum in that department, but it's there. It's not like, you know, that he's uh, Steve Kerr out here. He's well-rounded, and yet predominantly 10 out of 18 shots, more than half, uh, are three-pointers. And it's hard to argue when he's shooting 39.3% on them in aggregate, and that's even with a bit of a slump in the last week or so. Absolutely. He's, he's already, in my opinion, one of the league's best scorers. Absolutely one of the game's best scorers. Uh, but it's just, it just looks differently when he's not the lead dog. Like in that Spurs game, he didn't get his first shot attempt until a four or five minutes into that game. So it's kind of different when you're a rhythm scorer and you don't get a chance to, to, to shoot the ball like right away. So it's just interesting to see how he works out with that. But I think um, we can all agree that he's one of the, the Blazers have two or maybe three of the best ice and vein scorers. When they hit one shot, you know it can lead to something much different. Um, they, they, there have only been seven instances this year in which a player has hit seven three-pointers and the Blazers have four of them with living assignments. So he's a guy that when he gets hot, definitely a great second option to have. And sometimes he can be a first option. So I think you can you can live with what he's doing, especially at this age right now. Yeah, I mean, let's fill that out. Uh, Lillard and Simons together take a little over 37 shots per game between them, okay? And 22, almost 23 of them are threes. So about 23 out of 37-ish are three-pointers. That's a lot. And I'd be interested, I should look it up, if there's another guard tandem that is that three-point heavy as far as the number of shots taken. But here's what that does, and here's why that's important. We, I talked about this a little bit in a mailbag earlier, that Simons, with his ability to shoot the three, uh, provides huge relief for, for Lillard. I mean, because you cannot double Dame. I mean, they teams try, but it, it very quickly turns into a nightmare because you've got Simons on the weak side who can hit a catch and shoot, 
or if they throw a screen when they put the ball over there, he can also score instantly off the screen, or if he's covered up tight, he can drive past them. And that really opens up the entire strong side of the floor where the ball is because there's such a threat on the weak side. Also, Simons and Lillard being so accomplished outside shooting now leaves territory for Jeremy Grant and for Yusuf Nurkic to operate with much less defensive pressure than they have otherwise. And that is the value, even though there's defensive slippage, and even though you might look at it and say, well, those guards are shooting a lot of threes. That's exactly the value in that. Absolutely. And uh, Damian Lillard kind of said it best during his press conference this past week. He basically said that when you don't have to kill yourself to get things done, you get them done a lot more efficiently. So I think you're starting to see that this year where they've got guys that can come in and, and, and really take pressure off one another. And like I said, they've got the NBA's highest scoring trio. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in the, in the postseason that they do. Uh, just basically they've got like the NBA's best best scoring trio. So it'll be it'll be different for Damian Lillard this year, I think, in the past. And we've seen him play in the postseason where he kind of had to take over games and, and, and score 40, 50 points for them to have a chance to even, to even win. So having Simons and, and Grant, and Nurkic and those guys this year. I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see how he's able to kind of ease himself into it and not have to be uh, the hero every single night. Right. Here's another, I think, side effect, at least somewhat, at least tangentially related. You have Yusuf Nurkic with 2.7 offensive rebounds per game, Josh Hart with 2.0 offensive rebounds per game, which is a big number for a small forward. Justice Winslow has 1.7, which is a big number for a bench player. And even Drew Eubanks has 1.4, which is a big number for a guy playing 17 minutes a game. The Blazers are getting a lot of offensive boards. And part of that is because, I think, the floor is spread, and a lot of those guys get to go up against just one opponent, going for that rebound and the Blazers are kind of springy and also are very aggressive going after that uh, and you know the other thing is that uh, with the shots coming deep those rebounds don't stay still right and especially if you're used to your guy shooting you can clock that if the ball's coming out from 23 feet and you're an opponent, you don't know which way it's going to spray. You just know it's probably not going to go right under the bucket, which is where you're used to going, right? So I think that sneakily, this is causing one of the main factors that's allowing Portland to control tempo, to get second shots, and to look pretty good doing it. I was going to say, I've noticed a lot of long rebounds as of late. So every time they, they shoot the ball and they miss it, you know, you're seeing situations where it bounces out to the mid-range area, three-point area, and that kind of benefits the Blazers with their athleticism and the the, the energy that they have on the floor. So uh, I'm not sure how sustainable that's going to be, but I've definitely noticed that as well, too. Well, I mean, and it's also the tap out, right? You know, the, the Blazers have tapped the ball out more this year than any year I've ever seen. I think they've had streaks where they've done it a lot, but you watch Josh Hart. You watch even Nurkic, okay? When they go up for the rebound, they're not necessarily trying to secure it. The ball's already going away from the bucket, and they've got players out there at the three-point arc already. And by the way, sometimes opponents leak out, like trying to get past for the fast break, which is a bad mistake because... Hart and Nurkic and company are tipping that three-point miss out to a now wide-open three-point shooter for the second shot. And that's become a huge weapon. And you know what? The Blazers still aren't great getting back in transition organically. It's still something they need to work on. But they're keeping players or defenders 
rooted to the spot instead of running out with the threat of the tap out in the three. Yeah, you see that a lot with with, with Nervy, Eubanks, all of those guys. I, I, I like that part of Eubanks' game too. He kind of reminds me of a, a Tyson Chandler where he's able to tip the ball out to guys on the three point line. And that's one of them that really comes to mind in that Blazers Nuggets game where they uh, Lillard missed a three and they took the back out to him. Hart got the board and get, got it back to Lillard, and uh, they were able to open up a, like a seven point lead with about eight minutes to go. So uh, it's, it's you see it a lot. You see it a lot, and I think that uh, that that's definitely going to add an extra dimension to this Blazers team when they get easy looks. They, they've proven that they're already one of the best three-point shooting teams, so when you give them easy looks um, on a second opportunity, it, it's going to bode well for their offense. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, more than fair. Uh, but that doesn't happen, I think, if they're shooting mid-range shots. It doesn't happen if they're missing layups. Those rebounds go straight down and down into traffic. Uh, actually, those three-point misses almost favor the guy who's behind. So it's it's a tricky thing, like because if you're a rebounder, right, your job is to box out, right? Which means get in front of your guy, get in between the guy and the bucket. So your your body is between the rim and the offensive player who's trying to get the offensive rebound. But if it's a three-point miss, that ball is sailing over your head to the guy that's behind you. It's absolutely deliciously ironic and something that the Blazers have become very good at. How about that Minnesota game? Oh, well, there's first one and the second one. And Rudy Gobert goes nine for 11 in the first one. Uh, uh, D'Angelo Russell uh, also nine for 16. So you have some pretty high octane, high percentage offense. Anthony Edwards, 10 for 20 in that game. Minnesota scores 118, which is not great Portland defense. In fact, Minnesota shoots 54.2% from the field and 43% from the arc, which is really not great Portland defense, except for here comes Damian Lillard, who, by the way, shot only three for 11 uh, and nine for 22 on that night. But to your point, 15 for 15 from the foul line scores 36 points. Even though Portland gives up 118, they score 124 and they beat the Wolves. Anything from that first Minnesota game that struck you? Um, Basically, what I talked about earlier with the defense. I love the way that Damian Lillard defended, especially to start that game off. But they were running pick and rolls, and it was kind of his assignment to tag the guy, tag the roller coming down the lane. Uh, he was very aggressive with that, uh, and he showed a lot. He didn't show any fear in terms of defending guys bigger than him. Um, on the offensive end, I thought he, he played extremely well. Uh, Timberwolves tried to run a strategy that we've seen some teams use earlier this year, where they, they try to run a, a bigger guy on him. In this case, it was a uh, Jared Vanderbilt. So I, that that kind of stood out to me too. And then uh, there was one stat that they brought up with the Lillard and, and Jeremy Grant pick and roll combination, how they were fourth out of 268 uh, with a whopping 1.29, you know, points per possession on their pick and rolls. Those are three things that I thought really stood out to me. Um, and just the fact that uh, they were able to put together a great, great performance from start to finish. So it was, it was, it was a great win for them. Yeah. Uh, so in those Minnesota games, I think I noticed more in the second one, but it was an interesting strategy and the Blazers, I think have been employing it more. They screen, but they don't roll. Right. So they screen, but they keep the center out there, which does a couple things. First of all, it makes the defender of the dribbler have to go farther because the screen hangs longer, right? You you can't really go through it anymore because the screener's not moving. And second of all, it keeps the center, because they often do it with Nurkic or Eubanks, keeps the center completely out of the lane. So there, especially with Gobert, that was important, neutralizing him in the lane, keeping him on the outside. Now, your rebounding and interior battle is Josh Hart versus his opponent or Jeremy Grant versus his opponent. You're probably going to lose the Grant battle, but you're probably going to win the Josh Hart battle. 
So they kind of evened up the odds there by simply giving up Nurkic or Eubanks rolling into the lane, which is going to be their fourth option anyway. And they were able to capitalize on their first and second options and neutralize Minnesota. So I thought that was a pretty smart piece of work. Absolutely. And I think one other thing that kind of stood out to me too was how well they defended the three-point line. Uh, we've seen that the Blazers this year, they, they've really gotten better at that. And I was looking at a note from uh, NBA.com's uh, John Schumann. Basically said that this year, the Blazers' three-point rate for opponents has dipped from 42% to 38% which is the uh, second biggest drop in NBA this season. So they've done a great job of defending the three-point line as well as the free throw, uh, the free throw line, too. And we've seen uh, Anthony Edwards, he had a, a pretty good game in that in that performance. But other than that, they kind of bottled up and did everything else they needed to do. So I thought that was a nice welcome sign to see them try to get back to that, that early season defense where they were really defending well, flying around the perimeter, closing out hard, and just continuing to, to uh, put forth a good effort on that end of the floor. Yep. Now, the Timberwolves adjusted in the second game. Gobert came hard, right? Uh, 20 rebounds, five offensive, which was big. Uh, he had 16 points. Uh, D'Angelo Russell, 9 for 19, 23 points. That's good. Anthony Edwards had a rough game, and that's all it took because that shaved a few points off of Minnesota. They only scored 112. But Portland actually exceeded their offensive total from before scored 133 of course this was the big dame game 11 out of 17 that we talked about and it was it was just what were you thinking when that shooting performance was happening when you saw him really start to to fire up and then did not cool i was kind of mad when um i think it was kyle anderson that beat him in the thigh or whatever and i was thinking to myself like if that hadn't happened like maybe he had been able to play a little bit longer uh, but part of me wanted to see him come in and break the record, you know what I'm saying? Because it's just a such an incredible shooting performance, such a great, you know, one-of-a-kind sort of thing. So uh, it's, it's kind of similar to Anthony Simons where you're like, man, he, he, eventually he's going to miss, and he just never does. So it's it's, it's incredible to see. Uh, I, I can't say anything negative about that. Yeah, and to be clear, it was not the quantity, although he did take 17 attempts, but he hit 11 of them. I mean, he in an NBA game, he made 11 threes and only missed six. And like two or three of those came right at the end. So at one point, he was like 11 for 15 or something ungodly like that. It was the quality of those attempts. And by the way, until he started missing at the end where it felt like he was trying to break his career high, um, the shots were good. I mean, they were, they were, it wasn't like he was taking daredevil circus unholy you know streak shots it was just like oh dang this is a makeable shot i think i'll take it and darned if he didn't absolutely and it's just, sometimes you get those little heat check shots and then that spurs game right after that you know you can sort of see that too where he was trying to see if he was still hot you know, after the, the game afterwards um so with Luna, i think you trust him anytime that situation comes where he's, he's still testing to see if he's hot so you can't really you can't really complain about that and i think that he played a great game and it's something he can kind of build on. That's not one of those things that I worry about being unsustainable. Uh, he, he's definitely one of those guys that can, you know, from night to night, uh, get hot whenever he needs to. Right. 
Now, uh, we talked about Gobert. We should also say Yusuf Nurkic, 16 rebounds in that second Minnesota game, almost matching Gobert's 20, so not bad. And 14 points being very close to Gobert's 16. So the Blazers kind of neutralized Minnesota's biggest advantage. Of course, they didn't have Carl Anthony Towns, but uh, Gobert could have been a thorn in their side, and he was not. The other thing was Justice Winslow had 10 assists in that game, and yes, a lot of them were to Dame, right? But, <laughs> but... We should not take this for granted because remember, okay, in the uh, all Farouk Aminu days, right? Mo Harkless uh, days, Trevor Ariza, those forwards were always endpoints and they were reluctant endpoints. You know, granted, it's not like you intentionally set up shots for Aminu if you could help it. But basically, the defense would leave that player open and you went there and he had to shoot it because if he didn't shoot it, he was passing back into five defenders against four of his teammates, right? And also, those players were not really apt to pass. I mean, they weren't the greatest offensive conduits in the world. Justice Winslow, also not a great three-point shooter, could theoretically end up in the Aminu trap, right? But partially because of scheme and partially because of Winslow, he's actually able to create plays. And having that ability from your forwards, and by the way, Jeremy Grant can, and by the way, Josh Hart really can, having your forwards be able to create plays for teammates has really changed the way this offense looks and the way that the defenses have to defend the Blazers. Yeah, he's such a, a versatile talent. And I think he's kind of always been capable of this. Even last year, we saw it uh, when he was in Miami. You got a chance to see a little bit of that. Um, and it, it just adds an extra extra dimension to this Blazers offense. You know, having a guy that we've seen, we've seen Winslow come up the floor as the, as the, the, the de facto point guard, uh, setting up the offense, wherever he is. So uh, it's definitely a great luxury to have. And uh, he, he's, he's still susceptible to some occasional uh, weird turnovers and whatnot. He had one the other day against, against the Timberwolves where he kind of threw the ball like completely out of bounds and alley-oop. Uh, but you know, overall, I think he does so much good stuff for this team that doesn't get noticed you know, as much as it maybe it should. So I think he's definitely got to do appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's an argument to be made that Winslow is bringing as much to the Blazers now as Aminu did, even as a starter in his good days. And I, I really credit what Alfaruk Aminu did. I think he worked his way into that starting power forward position and really was viable for a couple years, important even. But Winslow is able to do so many things for this team that I look at him and I go, yeah, this is peak. This is not just peak justice winslow this is peak what you want in a reserve forward you really can't expect much more we should point out though that in that minnesota game again the defense was not great in aggregate gave up 50 percent from the floor gave up a bad percentage from the three-point arc but you know what you are not going to off out offense the trailblazers while damian lillard is on the floor right now you just cannot do it and minnesota kind of tried it's like okay our offense is great and it's like it was like Big brother, little brother, like, okay, little brother. Yep. You've developed a game. You've, you made some nice shots there and I'm still going to beat you because I am in high school and you're a seventh grader and that's the end of the story. And maybe someday when you grow up, but that day isn't today. Uh, so now you have the Blazers and the Spurs, which was the third win and four tries. Uh, Damian Lillard scores 37, as we said, 
And uh, the Blazers finally got their opponent down to a somewhat reasonable 46% from the floor. Spurs shoot 38% from the arc. Average, a little above average, but not bad. Portland shoots 60.5% from the floor and 45% from the arc. And again, the opponent puts up a nice cute little 112 and the Blazers have 128, almost at 130 again. What did you notice from that San Antonio game? Yeah, I was going to bring that up too. The 60.5% shooting, that's just, that's absolutely incredible. Um, and I think the biggest thing too is that, you know, they, they came out in the way they played in that first half. 73 points in the first half, that was the highest of the season. So that's incredible shooting from them. And I think one thing you notice too is uh, the way Damian Lillard, the shots he was getting were just, it was surprising how open he was. They had one play in the first quarter where he uh, was on a pick and roll with, with, I think it was Yusuf Nurkic. And they, both guys went with nervous on his road. So Lillard had a wide open three. Uh, a couple plays later, they run one Iverson cut, and he ends up getting a wide open shot. So the Spurs kind of, I don't know if they, they had a scouting report error or something was going on. But they just just left them left them completely alone. And in that game, uh, I think both teams sort of had a similar philosophy, uh, getting to the teeth of the defense and then dishing it back out, finding small pockets and ankles to, uh, angles to sort of dish it back inside or outside. Uh, but it was just, it was... It was great to see them perform that well. I think that's the in short, I think that's the biggest thing. It's just great to see them perform that well. Yeah, the Spurs did that on defense. The Spurs shoot fifty-eight percent from the free throw line. I'm pretty sure that Greg Popovich could have written a Dr. Seuss book out of swear words in that locker room. And uh it, it didn't matter. Portland just clearly was better. Uh loved it. As Simons uh, scores twenty-three, finally gets Hot from the arc, five of nine shooting, nine of fifteen overall. Uh, look, Simons may not be consistent, but he can't go away. If he goes away, the Blazers struggle, right? So uh, you'd like to see him have those games where he gets streaky and pops back, because you know that his streaks are going to lead to more consistency. It's not this is not going to be a permanent thing, um, but you need to see him produce. Uh, Jeremy Grant, of course, always good, eighteen points. Um, Josh Hart, I mean, like most people, I don't think we talk enough about him and especially about his rebounding and his energy. Now, defensively, he puts in all the energy. Sometimes he gets overmatched. Offensively, he might score 15 and he might score five. It almost doesn't matter. But he's always out there rebounding. He's always trying to make the right play on offense and he's always hustling on defense. He has way more in the in the trunk than he's showing. But what he's bringing every night is exactly what the Blazers need for that space. I, I agree with that hundred um, percent. I've spoken on him before on this, on this very podcast about him being my favorite player to watch right now, just because of the, the limitless hustle that he brings, the effort that he brings. Um, and it, it, it shows itself every night. You know, I, I wrote, I read a little article about, uh, about him earlier this week on Blazers edge about how he's taking less three pointers. how he's trying to get to the rim and how he's trying to uh, just impact the game in different ways. And you can see that. You can see that defensively. I thought that in that Minnesota game, he defended Anthony Edwards pretty well. You know, he was hitting shots, but they were tough shots. He takes on the assignment every night of, of defending you know, the top players. And, uh, just You can't really say enough about him in terms of how good he plays. Now, a couple things. Number one, Hart scored 20 per game last year, granted in a limited amount of games, but when he, after he was traded to Portland and when there was no one around him, he can score 20. I mean, yeah. he, 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 look, if he can't average that for a season, if that gives you a heartburn when I say that, he can score 18. 
without trying. I mean, so this guy could be a, a number two option easy, right? This guy could also probably direct your offense. He's not really a true point guard, but he could be that kind of second option that absolutely you know, keeps the ball going and kind of like a Justice Winslow or Anthony Simons role for the Blazers right now. Instead, he's literally the fifth option in the offense and is still giving you everything. In fact, he might be the sixth because when Shaden Sharp comes in, Sharp tends to, you know, get more ready shots than Hart does. I I can't say enough about what that is doing as an example for this team that Everybody probably thinks they could do a little bit more, but you look at Josh Hart and go, he's he's just helping us win, and that's it. And I think that that spirit, especially among your lower starters and higher bench players, goes a long way. Yeah, to your point, yeah, he could definitely do that. I think he can score 18 points a game if he needed to. Uh, we're in a situation where if you look at the way he plays, there's, there's no doubt, no doubt that he couldn't go out and get a rebound off, off a fast break and set up a score because that's just the way he plays. He can do that. Uh, but I think it speaks to his unselfishness. He's talked about this too and just in terms of just sacrificing shots um, for the betterment of the team and knowing that he's playing on the team with three all-star caliber players. But when his name's called upon, he, he normally steps up and does what he needs to do. Yep. Um, so definitely, definitely a, a welcome player. And the Blazers have so many different guys on this roster that uh, you, you like the signing, you like the, the rationale behind why they got them. And hearts at the top of their list, I think. He makes my NBA top 100 in the abstract. I know his stats aren't there. Unless you're watching the Blazers, you can't see it. And a lot of people don't still. And frankly, okay, they're 16 and 12. I get it. But the entire Western Conference is that, right? So you can't say they're worse than any other teams. They're just not necessarily better. So I get why you don't watch them if you're in New York. But if you watch Josh Hart, there's no way he's not in the top quarter of this league. I agree. And I think that, like I always say, for a guy of his caliber, he's never played in a postseason game. I think that this year, if the Blazers make the postseason, he's going to be able to introduce himself to a lot of that that audience that hasn't gotten a chance to see him play. And they're really going to become fan favorites of his, too. He plays so hard. And he just he does. He makes the right decisions. Um, so he's, he's going to introduce himself to a, a different crowd this year if he continues to play this way and the Blazers make the postseason. Is he the right starting small forward for this team? I say, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's tough to have a team where you've got, you know, three guys under 6'4". Um, and it, there's definitely drawbacks to that. But he plays at a 6'7", six, 6'7", seven, six, seven level. Plays much, much, uh, much bigger than his actual frame. So I think you can kind of get away with it as long as you, you have uh, the right, you know, the big, right big man behind him. So I don't, I don't think it's, it's too big of a deal. Is he the right small forward for this team if he leaves at the end of this year? I'm going to still say, yeah. I think it's a situation where, you know, you want to try to get as much out of this as you can. And and Damian Lillard, he, he, he's he's all in on this Blazers team. I think that uh, everybody has a right to be too. You know what I'm saying? I think that you can definitely, you can go on a deep playoff run this year with this team, especially if you can kind of avoid some of the teams that can kind of match up on against you. Um, so, even if he does leave this year, I think that all right. If he does leave next year, I think that this year you definitely want to try to uh, get as much as you can out of this season. So I would say, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I mean it's tough. I'm still on the fence about it. Whether assets for Hart would be the way to go, uh, if you're not going to repay him, or whether you make the uh, make the run in the playoffs and see what happens. Here's the thing, and I was thinking about this as I was driving today in the snow. 
trying not to slide off the road. You know, the West, this is literally the year when it could be anybody. There is nobody dominant in the West right now. And that anybody really does at this point include the Portland Trailblazers. And they don't have to be the top team. I think it's New Orleans right now, or it was last time I checked. It was Phoenix like a week ago, but now they're number four because guess what? It's bunched up. And there is not a team in the West where you'd say, this team is clear-cut able to beat the Blazers in a playoff series. Now, the Blazers are not able to clear-cut beat anyone else either. I mean, that's the caveat. And if you can make that move, you've got to, especially this year. That's an argument for making the move, not not making the move, because if you can become that team, you have a really good shot this year of getting through. But let's say nobody makes that move and nobody becomes dominant. I mean, you're kind of you're kind of in the you're just playing Plinko at this point and hoping that it's your your chip that falls into the center. Uh, and that's what the West looks like. And that's actually I mean, hey, I'll take it. I, I agree 100 percent. I think that's a great point you made, too, about the Western Conference. We're at a point right now where they're only two and a half games back of the number one seed. So you could push more of those chips to the middle of the table. I think by all means, you definitely do it. Uh, because you you never know when it's going to be this way again, where the, where the Western Conference is going to be just this wide open. Um, so I, I'd I'd be on board with the Blazers making a move that pushes them, you know, into more of a win now phase. I've heard uh, some rumors about you know Nerlens Noel coming to the team to become a rim protector. Uh, but in terms of big moves, I would definitely love to see this team make a big move, um, if, if possible, to just try to you know accelerate the accelerate the growth and, and get to a higher status. So I think it's definitely something to think about. Well, a big move, if you're not going to give up Shaden Sharp, is going to take Josh Hart or Yusuf Nurkic or somebody who's a starter. Uh, and I'm not sure how big you can go with them. But assuming you're not giving up the big three and you're not giving up Sharp, you're going to have to. I mean, there's going to be some risk involved in that move. Uh, trade season just opened today. Uh, Nurkic isn't available to be traded until January. But a couple, blazer, couple new Blazers are. Uh, so, I mean... I don't expect them to make an earth-shattering move unless something falls into their lap. But, yeah, I think there's a move out there. And I think maybe, maybe you can acquire the center. If you get the center shot blocker for cheap, you may not even have to trade or may not have to, have to, not have to trade much for that player. I think even a really sturdy shot blocker in there who's not completely inept and slow on offense could make a huge difference for this team. I'd be interested in that. Uh, I, 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 my first thought was I was thinking like, man, the Lillard Nurkic pick and roll synergy is just so great. The way they kind of play, the, the way they connect, and the chemistry they have. Uh, but I mean, I definitely think that you have to continue to make moves, you know, with the mindset of, of getting better. Uh, who's the guy that you you kind of want to go for? I was thinking maybe like a, a, a disgruntled star. You get a guy that's frustrated. Maybe you make a move at that, but. Yeah, oh, center centers are so weird. I can't think of anybody. So I'm like, yeah, oh, center man. is is hard. And then fitting in another star would be hard. It would have to be someone pretty particular. I mean, look, the archetype would be if you could go get your Scotty Pippen the way they did back in the Bob Whitsitt days. I mean, a player like that would be fantastic. But that's an upgrade over Hart, obviously. But I don't think you can get that player. I don't think there is one. Right. Um I mean, when rumors were DeAndre Ayton was available, I think you'd think about that. I don't think he is anymore with the way Phoenix has been playing. I think they think they've got a good shot, too. 
I mean, obviously, the one I, the archetype that I put up was Rudy Gobert, simply because if the Blazers going to play slow paced anyway, there's no better shot blocker rebounder out there. He can also pick and roll a little bit, and you know that's just look. I don't, I don't think he's. I don't think he's as fantastic of a center as a lot of people think he is, okay? Uh, but all defense is legitimate. Uh, defensive MVP is almost every year, you know, candidate is legitimate. And those rebounding numbers and especially the shot blocking, completely legitimate. And it's a little bit of a weird get, but like that would be fantastic. But obviously that's not gettable. I would go for Nerland's Noel. I would take a journeyman center like that with a couple of skills because I think you can get them cheap and or and or free. And uh, just to put in there, when you needed, when Eubanks wasn't quite doing it uh, and when Nurkic was being Nurkic. Yeah, I, did, I, I like the Rudy Gobert. Uh, not, I'm not sure how the numbers match up with that. But you can, can't get yeah, Minnesota. Like okay, Minnesota, that would be a G, get your GM fired move because how much did they give up <laughs> for Gobert? They can't now yeah. turn around and dump him. That would be like next trade deadline move when they figure out that Shiz isn't going to work in Minnesota and they're not going to dump Carl Anthony Towns still. Uh, then then they might look to unload Gobert. But I, you can't. He's, he's ungettable. And he's probably ungettable even then. But that, that would be, the, I always believe in, look at the tippy top and then go down, right? Look at your Bentley, and then you can't afford a Bentley. Okay, what's what's the next step down that's pretty good? And what's that? What do you like about the Bentley? Uh, and see if you can get that in, uh, you know, a Honda. There was something else that I was going to put out there. Oh yeah, the pace. The Blazers are playing at a playoffs pace. You know, you can't run in the playoffs, right? And the Blazers are actually low. In in NBA pace. Now I'm not sure that's entirely intentional, but I'm not as worried about their ability to produce in the playoffs as I am some years. Partially because of that pace, but partially because I think it was really easy in the latter years to key on Lillard and McCollum, and they had no options. Now whoever you key on, they have options. Yeah, I think I checked this morning. It was like uh, 28 out of 30, something like that. Like it's just. Yeah, snail's pace, super slow. Yep. And I remember at the beginning of the season, I thought that it was, I thought it was a typo because I'm like, it felt like every time they got a stop, they were flying down the court and getting a, making a play with Hart with Grant guys like that. Uh, but the more you see them play, the more you, you kind of understand they, they they play slow. Uh, they run a lot of pick and roll, things like that. So I think you definitely, it's definitely a recipe that you can kind of run with in the postseason, especially if you can you can match the defensive intensity with that. Um. But I don't know. Part of me, I kind of want to see them move a little bit faster. But I guess if it's conducive to playoff success, then you can you can sort of live with it and not complain too much about it. I don't think it's conducive to playoff success as much as I think that you can't beat the Blazers by slowing them down, which is a technique that a lot of you know a lot of young teams play faster, and then they hit the postseason, and the other team defends well and slows them down and controls the boards, and then all of a sudden, young team has no options. I think the Blazers could and and should play faster. I mean, we were talking earlier about fast breaks. How many, how many players could get the rebound and run the break on this team? I mean, Jeremy Grant, yeah, uh, Nurkic, no, but Lillard, yeah, 
Uh, Josh Hart, yeah. Anthony Simons, yeah. Justice Winslow, yeah. Keon Johnson, yeah. Shaden Sharp, probably with a little bit of help. So, I mean, you got, that's a lot of players. I mean, and that was once, look, that was why people coveted Darius Miles back in the day. They looked at him and said, he can rebound it, turn around, run it down the court and dunk it or make a play. And that was kind of unique back then. Blazers got eight guys like that now. I think they should be playing a little faster but I'm not as worried about them if they don't. That's a great point. They got a lot of different guys that can play positionless basketball. Um, and it's kind of unrelated to this, but like you look at what that can, that can do for them in the half-court setting too. Like That's allowing players like Damian Lillard to play more off-ball when you've got a guy that can get a rebound and play the point guard role, set up guys coming down the floor. So it's, 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 it's got its benefits. Um, I think you want to see the Blazers kind of lean into that a little bit more. Um, so hopefully we see that be an adjustment for them in the second half of the season where they, they sort of, you know, speed it up just a little bit, not allowing the defense to get set, uh, get, into their, get into their spot. So it'll be something to look at. Yeah. You know what just strikes me as you said that? That's why doing a podcast is valuable uh, <laughs> because it sparked when you said that. For the last, I mean, ever since 2014, really, when a guy subs in, You've kind of known what's going to happen when Alfru Kaminu comes in or gosh, any of the players last year, of course, because they were barely running an NBA lineup. But you knew, OK, here's the style that they've got to play. Here's the weaknesses. Here's exactly how this guy slots in. And this is really predictable at this point. And the regular season is always a crapshoot. It didn't always show up then. But in the playoffs, you just knew. And the opponent knew. And the opposing coaches knew. And, the, you know, Alfred Camino is in. You leave him alone out there and guard everybody else, force him to get the three-point shot. You could, it's like, I wasn't down on the team. I was excited, but you at the same time, you're mentally rolling your eyes because you're going, oh, yeah, this, right? I'm realizing, you know, Trendon Watford, Jabari Walker, Keon Johnson, I can't do that with. I'm not saying that they're great players. There's certainly none of them are better than Alfred Camino was or even close to him at his peak. But when they check in, I don't know exactly what they're going to do. I mean, in the good way. Like, you know, they might shoot a three-pointer or they might roll to the hoop or they might get an offensive rebound or they might get a defensive rebound and trigger the break uh, with a pass, at least. I can't I can't go, here's how this guy is going to play and here's how the Blazers are going to play because this guy is on the floor. That's a big change. That's a great point you make there, especially with Trenton Wofford because he's a guy that you know, earlier when he wasn't playing, they were saying that he was like the main guy pushing the ball down the floor. Um, when, when he was like working his way back to getting healthy. Um, he's a guy that, you know, he'll run a, a fake dribble handoff. He'll take it right to the basket and score on you too. So yep. if you're running a lineup where you got trending at the five and you got four other guys that can do that too, there's an element of surprise you can use there. You can really catch teams off guard. So just one through five across, across the rotation, lots of unpredictability, especially if you play your cards right. So yep. I don't really see a reason why the Blazers wouldn't try to, you know, try to attack that and try to catch teams by surprise or, Maybe Chauncey Billings knows something like you know something we don't. Maybe he decides to run that in the postseason. Who knows? But or I maybe definitely he, want to see them lean into that. He could be limiting the bench too. I mean, this may be a factor if these guys play only a limited number of minutes so they're not exposed the way Aminu yeah. was. But what if you want to get ridiculous, who's the one guy you should be able to say that about on the roster? That okay, when this guy comes in, it's a limited skill set. The talent is not overwhelming, but you know, you pretty much know it's Drew Eubanks. 
and you're going like, okay, he's the guy who's the most limited, right? He's literally one of the best bench players the Blazers have had in a long time in terms of his efficiency, and their style of play doesn't change when he gets in. He could not be more different than Yusuf Nurkic in body type, in ability to spread the floor, in ability to score in the post off the dribble on his own or run a low post offense. And yet somehow he's able to put up shots that never miss, even though he never dribbles the ball. He gets offensive rebounds and defensive rebounds. He even gets a couple shot blocks. Uh, he plays defense well enough. He can screen and roll and be a threat. I don't know how that's happening. It's like you drew a card that's a two and somehow it's a wild card and it's playing in all kinds of situations. And you're going like, okay, the Eubanks is wild. That's how this game goes. Okay. Okay. That, that's how crazy it is for the Blazers right now. When Drew Eubanks is not changing their style of play and is really producing efficiently, you're going like, Did, there's something going on here. See, it made his first three of the season, too, this week, too. <laughs> I was really, really surprised. I had never seen him shoot a three. I'm like, wow, this is this is really cool. Yeah, three banks. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Three banks. So uh, last thing, I guess, unless you got something else, uh, Shaden Sharp checkup. He's been through a little bit of uh, a little bit of bumpiness. Uh, he had a nice game against San Antonio. Shot five for seven, uh, scored twelve points. Uh, what's the what's the checkup on him? How how do you feel he's doing now? Twenty six games in. It's hard for me to ever really be too critical of, of Shaden Sharp, especially because of the fact that you know they they talked about it before, but just the fact that he came in as a, as a reclassified. Uh, one-year player out of college, so he didn't really get a chance to learn a lot of the aces and O's, so he's kind of having to like learn everything on the fly right now. Um, and Chauncey Billups has talked about that. He said that he has to kind of coach him one-on-one, teach him one-on-one the different things that he needs to do. So with that being the case, you know, you, you have a little bit more patience when it comes to him. And uh, when, he, when he really figures the game out, when he really learns it, it's going to be a problem. And we're already seeing a little bit of that potential being showcased this season, so... Anything that he does this year, I think, is just like adding money. You know what I'm saying? He's already kind of exceeded expectations for me. Uh, the shot making is already there. Uh, I think people forget that he had the bad finger earlier in the year, too. So you have to kind of think about that. Uh, you know, there's a, the rookie wall. People always talk about that, too, where like rookies at a certain point in their, their first season, they kind of slip up a little bit. So um, I'm not too critical of him. You know, he has his, his defensive lapses sometimes where he's, you can tell he's overthinking. Um, and I want to see him become more of a, a multifaceted player where he's rebounding the ball, passing the ball when that shot's not falling, whatever he's got to do. But all, all in all, I can't really say too much you know, negatively when it comes to him. Uh, I think it's just been a, it's been fun to watch, fun to watch the progression. Yeah, I mean, all-world offense already. I mean, just in his lack of hesitation and confidence and his ability to get separation. I mean, I'm never mad when Shaden Sharp shoots. I mean, even Anthony Simons and Damian Lillard sometimes I'm like, oh, whoa, guys, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, I don't, you can't get really mad at him because they are who they are and they're allowed to take those shots. But you, I don't think I've ever done that with a sharp shot that I've seen where I went, no, no, dude, pull it back. It's like, you know what? That's a chance of going in. Go for it. Defensively, I think what he's got the skills. Uh, the, uh, what I mean is he's got the raw material. He's got the athleticism. Uh, some technical things need to change, but defense is like reading. Okay, you got to understand, like, you know how most of us, at least, we struggled to read early on and we had to process and think about words, but at some point it became instinctive and you just read the book. And the more you have to back up and think, the more you're taken out of it and you it, the flow gets interrupted and then you're not reading anymore, right? Defense, same way. 
it's about reading the situation and reacting to it kind of the same way you react to words on the page. Oh, this impels me to do something, and I'm going to do the something naturally because of what I just absorbed without even consciously thinking that I absorbed it. Okay, Sharp's going to take a while to learn how to read the floor like that. He's still reading like, okay, this is a book, you know? And it's like, he gets it. It's not like he doesn't get it. But the problem is the game goes so fast that by the time you get to the fourth word, the situation has already changed and you've got to start the sentence over again. When Shaden learns to read defensively, I think he's actually going to be pretty good. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I like the fact that we're seeing that potential already kind of showcase itself um, on a couple of different plays. He had a, a play against the Spurs where he, uh, they, they got blue by going to the to the basket, but he sent the shot out of bounds on like a, a really nice block. They caught goaltending on it, but just seeing that that effort and seeing the light bulb click, seeing the athleticism meet the the match, the, uh, the wits and the, and the wisdom that he's going to pick up, I think it's going to be really really fun to see how that, that plays out. Right. Um, so, yeah, just I, I, I can't be too critical of him at all. You know, in this first season, I think he's, he's had, he hasn't made enough mistakes for me to really write him off just yet so well and this is this is the hard thing right I, I look i used to watch continental basketball association cba when it was the kind of the minor leagues and what you don't realize is god those guys could shoot those guys could score i mean just amazing and you're going like wow this offense is off the chart but they were in the cba instead of the nba because it's hard to defend it is way harder than you think. And for most mortals, and even for most athletes, it's a matter of by the time your eyes read it, your brain processes it, and sends out a signal to your hands and legs, the play is already gone. I mean, you are too late to stop it. All you're doing is <laughs> you're making your appointment with the poster. So uh, that Sharp even is developed as far as he has I think says something about his athleticism and that processing time, but also that he's picking up things. I mean, I think fairly quickly for where he started, I, he should probably not be able to play this many minutes for a team. That's pretty good. 26 games into his career, considering he did not play a stitch of college ball. Absolutely. agree with that too. Um, this roster was, was, was really deep in his position that started this year too. And you look at all of the guys he was gonna have to fight to get get minutes in the rotation, and the fact that he's been able to hang along this this long into the season, it's really inspiring. And like I said before, just when when the athleticism matches the the, the knowledge, knowledge of the game that comes with it, it's gonna be an all star caliber player. I think it's 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 kind of already been written out for him to be that. So, yeah. um, not too much you can say right now. Well, my friend, it's not often you and I do this. We are over the hour mark. Usually we're at 40 oh. minutes, but man, there's just a lot to talk about in these middle games here. Anything we missed before we go? Um, I can't think. We, we hit on a lot of different things. I think we, we pretty much covered it. You know? And this is why I love you, my friend, because nobody is able to pull more out of four games than we do i think you know it's like and it's funny because it's like every game is a seed and then you water that and it's like oh look at the 72 branches that grew out of it so uh <laughs> thanks for helping collect those and decorating some of them like a christmas tree next time we talk uh it will be 
almost Christmas, which is really scary. We are two Sundays away from Christmas. The Blazers will complete this six-game road trip before Christmas. Before we play next, they will play at Dallas, then at Houston, then twice at Oklahoma City. So any predictions for that? those four games? Um... I'm thinking they, they, they should exact some revenge on Dallas. That's always going to be a tough matchup for them. Um, I like them. I like them beating them. I like them beating Oklahoma City. I like them beating Houston. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing which game it is that Damian Lillard breaks that, that record against. I wish it was at home like everybody else. I can see them them picking up some momentum in this this next week and then really really adding on some some victories to that. So I'll go I'll go with all wins, and I'll be a uh, I'll be cool with if if I'm one off, but I think we'll see all wins this week. Uh Houston in front of Clyde. I mean, I forget how many points he's short right now. Uh I think it's seventy. Seventy? So I think uh, it's seventy, yeah. So let's see what he gets against Dallas. If he can get thirty five against Dallas, he might be able to do the same against Houston. And if I Clyde coolest, no. Clyde's in attendance. Um, I was just gonna say, I think it's really cool that if he if he doesn't get it in Portland, he gets it in a place where he's had some historic moments too. So whether it's Houston, a place where he's hit a game winner against them, Oklahoma City, he's had some great success against them. So it'll be it'll be historic, not as not in the same way that it would, would be in Portland, but it's 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 really cool though. I think at the end of the day. Yep. Very good. Well, next week, we can talk about whether Damian Lillard is the greatest trailblazer of all time, uh, assuming he scores 70 in the next four games. And usually he's on pace for 70 in the next four quarters. So that's pretty good. Uh, for Marlo Ferguson, Mr. Four and O again, uh, I'm Dave Deckard, and we will see you again next week.